Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Automotive Day of the uh, FreightWaves Global Supply Chain Week. We are uh, happy to be here with you and um, especially happy to welcome Brandon Paquette, who is the uh, Director of Global Supply Chain Planning and Continuity for ZF. And ZF, if, uh, for those of you who might not be familiar, is one of the uh, globe's largest uh, automotive suppliers, either number two or number three, depending on which count you're looking at. Um, they are well known for some pretty big acquisitions, most recently in, in uh, 2020, the uh, $7 billion acquisition of Wabco Industries, or excuse me, Wabco Holdings. And prior to that, back in 2015 or so, uh, TRW uh, Automotive. So they've become a monster, uh, not in a bad way, but in a good way. And uh, so I'm, well, I'm, I'm happy to welcome Brandon uh, today uh, to talk some supply chain. Welcome, Brandon. Thanks, Alan. Happy to be here. Yeah, good to see you. Listen, um, I, I have to start since our theme is supply chain. I've got to start with the uh, what I call the fractured state of the supply chain, and I, I need to sort of uh, you know jump right in and say you know part of your role is to chase down and secure semiconductors. That everybody wants them; they're in short supply. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. How you're doing that? Yeah, sure. So when the semiconductor crisis really became apparent, uh, ZF quickly established a task force to manage the challenges. So we had teams from purchasing, supply chain, sales, uh, and many more that began quickly assessing the availability of supply, what alternate sources we may have, and the impact on our operations as well as our customers. So in order to do this, we, we had to quickly institute uh, robust ways of tracking the availability of our components from various suppliers, the demand for those parts across all our global sites, and how we can satisfy customer demand as completely and, and fairly as possible across the customer base. Um, frankly, as the, the crisis has really dragged on, uh, it became apparent that this task force, kind of this crisis management mode, if you will, needed to become more of a permanent team to evolve our capabilities in the current semiconductor crisis as well as prepare the organization for the next challenge that might be around the corner. So in my role in our team, uh, we're tasked with refining and advancing our capabilities from a supply chain planning and a constraint management perspective. Uh, this is helping us to enable faster reaction as well as anticipation of future challenges. Um, our overall organization has also implemented center of competencies for electronics that are helping to stabilize the current challenges while focusing on our long-term strategic aspects. Uh, this is include how do you how do you decide, Brandon? How do you decide winners and losers within your own customers? I mean, you don't have to go into specifics here, but I mean, you know, somebody's got to get some, and somebody's going to have to wait, right? I mean, in in this environment, how how are those calls made? Yeah, I mean, it it really comes down to what is the availability of the different products, and again, how we can most fairly allocate those across the customers. So it's not so much a, a decision about the the winners and the losers; it's how we can get the supply that is available to us and how we can most equitably uh, allocate those, those parts. Um, of course, what we're looking at is really what are the constraints. So if we have a constraint on part A and excess on part B, we might shift part B to another manufacturing location to again, try and balance those, that overall volume out across the board. So it really does, um, you know, it, it varies, but again, it's really the focus is on how we can use the constrained supply that that we have available and most, like I said, equitably allocate that to our customers. Yeah. You're familiar with the term, the everything shortage, which of course goes beyond the uh, semiconductor space. Um, how have you sort of uh, uh, dealt with that 
in terms of, I guess it's a game of whack-a-mole. That's the way it's most often described. You know, something will come up. It'll be short for a while. You'll fix that or your your teams will fix that. And then something else will come up. Um, how do you how do you get into that? Well, I, I mean, obviously, the semiconductor issue is the, the biggest constraint that we're all dealing with right now. Um, you know, there's other challenges throughout the supply chain, that's for sure, whether it is the availability of various raw materials or the transportation network itself. So, you know, it, it's there's various challenges out there. It is a bit of game of whack-a-mole. Uh, it seems like every week there's a new challenge that's that's coming up. But again, you know, if you specifically talk about the constraints that we're dealing with, that's where our new organization is really being focused and really looking at Again, how we can use the data that's available to us, the constraints from our suppliers, how we can equitably allocate that. And what we're really focused on as far as establishing this new permanent organization is how we can anticipate that going into the future. You mentioned to me when we chatted earlier that uh, it's a data game, a data question, I should say, not a game. But it's uh, the more data you have, the better you can can operate. That sounds very clinical in a way, and that's okay. But uh Explain what you mean by that. I mean, what, how, how can that additional data help you make the decisions that, that you have to make? Yeah, I mean, data is key. If you look at the size of ZF, you know, we're, we have, I think it's around 190 manufacturing sites globally. The only way you can manage all of that is if you have the data available to you to make those types of decisions in a quick manner. So um, to, sorry to use a buzzword, but part of the catalyst that's coming out of this whole crisis is furthering our digitalization efforts. Uh, throughout the supply chain. And it's really bringing to light the importance of data. You can't make important decisions if you don't have the information at the the fingertips of the analysts and the decision makers. So yeah, data is the key. Data is the power. And uh, this crisis has really brought that to light and really emphasized that. And, um, you know, I guess the silver lining, if you will, is it's helping us to, to drive that digitalization strategy and really pushing the importance of having that information available to us. The customers, um, you know, who, who you're trying to serve, they need to provide their data as well. Do you have good access to that? Um, there's always challenges when it comes to demand forecasting, right? And I know our customers are dealing with the same issues that we're dealing with. They may have plenty of part A, but part B may be constrained, which then reduces and adjusts their, their demand for part A. Um, so it, it's always a challenge to get as much accurate forecasting. I, I know our customers are doing the best that they can in the challenging situation. Uh, but of course, that then trickles downhill. It impacts us. It impacts other tiers as well. So again, I go back to the data is key. Um, it's important for all of us. Transparency as well, because as we have more accuracy when it comes to our customers' demand, that helps us make better decisions as far as what we're going to do with our constraint capacity as well. Yeah, I think you told me that you contract your 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 freight basically. I mean, you you use contractors and so forth. Has has that been an issue for you uh, in terms of being able to seat trucks that you need and things like that? I know you don't do the seating, but you you hire someone to do that. Have you had issues on the transport side? I, I, most of the earnings reports we see show that you know freight and the cost of these things have gone up. But uh, are you are you having you know sort of availability issues that you're having to work through as well? Yeah, I mean, to, to some extent, yes, for sure. And of course, there's, again, there's every week, it seems like there's a new challenge that's coming up. So, uh, but overall, I mean, our strategy from a transportation perspective, I can at least speak with uh, for North America, we do work primarily directly with uh, asset-based carriers. We do have some brokers in the mix as well. And our strategy is to really establish a core carrier base and 
Um, we like to refer to it as captive capacity, and uh, the southern border is probably the most uh, the best example. Um, we obviously have operating sites in Mexico, so as we send trucks southbound, we want to work with our carriers to also make sure that they're bringing our loads northbound, where it's the most difficult to find capacity right now. So overall, I mean, we've been fairly successful. I'm not going to say we're without hiccups. I mean, there's definitely challenges out there. Uh, but we are continuing to try and drive that strategy and, and develop our, um, our our carriers and, and increase our capacity as we continue to, to grow both organically as well as through acquisitions that have taken place in the last few years. Well, there, there's that segue I was looking for, and you just gave it to me, to acquisitions. You've been around since around uh, 2010 or 2011 at ZF. And so you've been uh, on board and, and uh, went through both of the major mergers, and these are big ones, right, with TRW and 15, and then most recently with with Bobco. Um, what what is it that uh, you know that that ZF was able for, in your area? Understood, not that you can't speak for the whole company, but what was it that ZF was able to keep, and what had to be discarded to create sort of a seamless transition? Uh, you know, to to where to where you are now. Um, I don't know as, as much about necessarily discarding, but it was more about bringing the two organizations together. And, and supply chain was one of the top priorities uh, at the very beginning of the relationship or the acquisition, if you will, with uh, both organizations, with TRW and WAPCO. Um, of course, we wanted to realize the, the, the savings benefits, uh, enhancement of supplier and customer relationships, uh, really looking at those organizations and determining which where there were strengths and where there were weaknesses and how we could blend those together. And uh, we use the term, at least with the TRW um, acquisition, the best of both, right? What is, where are our strengths, where are weaknesses and how we can blend those together? Um, you know, it, in, in both cases with TRW and WAPCO, the additional business units really made ZF as a whole stronger, right? We were adding um, to a more comprehensive suite of solutions that we can offer customers which made the, the integration, I'll say, a little bit easier, if you will, in, in many regards. Um, you know, there, there's examples of where when we brought those two the organizations together, because of that strength, we were better able to focus on our wider uh, goals. Uh, one example right now is our ZF's uh, global sustainability targets. So we've set a target to reach climate neutrality by 2040. Uh, a significant contributor, of course, is our global freight network. So Wabco, now part of our commercial vehicle systems divisions, um, offers products to improve fuel efficiency. Uh, many of those are actually U.S. EPA SmartWay certified. And to further demonstrate our commitment to sustainability and the SmartWay program and their, our certified products, we recently within North America joined the SmartWay shipper program. So I think that is, is just one example as bringing that the whole together has enabled us to continue to pursue our, our larger strategic goals as a greater organization. Sure. I, I, I think, you know, this is a, a, a different kind of question and, it, and it's one that, uh, you know, maybe it's a soft question. I don't know. But but the whole idea of cultures, um, you know, I've, I've been around the industry, both on the automotive side and more recently in commercial. Um, and I know that I've seen some some successes, uh, you know, in terms of cultural um, melding. And I've seen some that, you know, had some work. I'm sure it's a little of both, but maybe you can talk about how that's worked out. But you've seen it again, two times in big fashion. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it comes from uh, building a trust factor, right? Especially when you're bringing two new organizations together, two organizations together, I should say. 
um, it's building that trust with new colleagues. You're, you are adapting from uh, an old way of doing business, if you will, or you know, your ingrained cultures to a new culture. I mean, if you talk about ZF and TRW, you have a German organization and a, a private organization and TRW, which was an American publicly traded company. There's differences in cultures there, but you know, again, it's about building that trust and building those relationships with your colleagues. Um, again, it's as I mentioned before, with with those acquisitions, it made ZF as a whole stronger. Uh, it enabled us to pursue our, our loftier goals. I mean, even if you just look at where we are now as an organization, as we get into electrification and whatever's coming down the road with autonomous driving, we wouldn't be where we are today if we didn't bring those those organizations together. So. Um, as you pull those together and you look at those longer visions and you build that trust within the organization with your new colleagues, I think that's the, the, the most important part. And obviously there has to be some sensitivity there to the differences and ways of working. Uh, but as you build that trust, you build that um, confidence in each other. Uh, I think we've been pretty successful in that regard and, and we want to continue to move forward in that way. Well, I guess it, not only is it imperative, but the, the feel-good nature of sustainability, uh, you know, the idea that, you know, you're working toward a goal to presumably make the planet better, right? Um, that's got to be one of those areas where, you know, um, the figurative high five probably happens uh, occasionally, you know, if, you, if you're if you all kind of pushing or pulling on that same uh, that same rope, you know, to, to get there. And, and, you know, those goals are, are out there pretty much for everybody, as you well know. Um, but I can see how that could be a, a catalytic kind of thing for you. You know, we've talked about uh, we've talked about the supply chain crisis, and I'm going to come back to it for just a minute. Do you have a prediction, or does ZF have a prediction from where you sit, of when this gets better, or when it's a situation, whether it's a situation that's just going to be with us? We've got um, a number of things. You've got a hundred thousand units of, of of trucks that you know are, are basically uh, can't be built right now. You've got uh, emission standards for carb coming in and. 24, followed by presumably EPA in 27. So you're going to have that, that pull-ahead thing going on. There's a lot going on in the in the in the trucking space, all of which is impacted by what's going on right now. So do you guys have a a sense of you know can you put a pin on the map or not or on the calendar? Uh, I, I wish we could. I think that's the, the multi-billion-dollar question, right? Um, I, I'll say we're optimistic that the situation will begin to ease. Uh, hopefully, that happens this year. But really, I, there, there's a lot of hesitation to put timing on that, and there are a lot of forecasts out there that expect the semiconductors challenges to last through this year. Uh, obviously, a lot depends on on factors outside of our control, from consumer electronics and um, how quickly capacity can come online. So there's a lot of unknowns. And uh, quite frankly, you never know what the next material shortage might be uh, coming around the bend. And as I kind of mentioned, that's part of when we're establishing this new team within our organization to be prepared for whatever it is that comes around next. So so it's not to say that the everything shortage will persist, but supply chain challenges likely will. Um, you know, and I guess one other concern I can say that I have is right now we're still dealing with reduced industry production from the semiconductor crisis, yet transportation capacity is already extremely challenging within North America and globally. So whenever the semiconductor issues do break free and volumes pick back up, in addition to the pent up demand, uh, the last figure I saw was I think 11 million vehicles were not built last year, right? That's, that's a large pent up demand. So 
I, I have some concern. I would expect some further strain in the transportation market. So um, there's lots of challenges around the bend um, that are, they're going to continue to persist. Hopefully, the semiconductor issues get better sooner than later. Like I said, we expect some easing, but we do expect a lot of headwinds through the rest of this year, at least. Well, and, and fortunately for you, since you do uh, basically outsource or contract your freight, you don't have to go buy a used truck, which, you know, what, 96% more expensive last year than than the year before. And I guess going up still, I mean, you know, the, these numbers aren't really abating. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you out here on this one, and that is what new ways of working have come to light during this crisis, um, and what adjustments are likely to become permanent? Maybe you've addressed it a little, but we'll just wrap it up on that one. Sure. I mean, from a supply chain standpoint, uh, the semiconductor crisis, uh, shutdowns and work stoppages that are you know we're still dealing with from on occasional from globally perspective, transportation constraints, all of that really emphasizes, as I mentioned, the continuing need for digitalization of the supply chain. Um, Robust data and having it readily available at the the hands of the decision makers involved is is critical. Um, obviously, we've also done a lot of uh, remote working, like every other large organization has uh, throughout the past couple of years. Um, you know, we're we're still in that scenario right now, unfortunately, uh, at least from our our technical and, and corporate centers. Um, we're look forward to the day, frankly speaking, when we're back in the office. Uh, We'll be going to a hybrid work model of uh, a couple of days in the office to three days remote. Um, but look forward to that time when we're back together and able to be face to face, hopefully without masks sooner than later, uh, but face to face, able to, to work together and, and build those collaborations and those relationships that you, you form in the office. Yeah, you did tell me one thing I was interesting about the collaboration and, you know, the, the cliche is water cooler, but you said that actually through some of this time you've been able to even things up a little bit on the Zoom in terms of, uh, you know, the way you do things and, and that there is some organic uh, communication that really comes from that. Yeah, correct. So um, in, in, in my role, I have people that sit in multiple sites across North America. So you naturally progress or, or gravitate, I should say, to the individuals that are closest to you physically within your office. Um, so one of the silver linings, if you will, of, of working remotely is that regardless of where anybody was sitting, everyone was on the same playing field, if you will, working virtually. So the silver lining there was that it, it helped bring kind of bridge the gap in some cases where maybe there were some different relationships with between different colleagues. It brought actually brought us closer together in many ways uh, in a virtual environment uh, than it did in the past because Communicating like this over video chat became the norm where we maybe didn't do that in the past um, with colleagues that may be sitting in another location. So that was a, a bit of a silver lining in this environment, kind of bringing people closer together in that way. Well, as Zoom calls go, this has been enjoyable for me. I, I'm really glad that we could do this. It's not Zoom, I know, but it's Zoom-like. Oh. And uh, <laughs> so I really appreciate, Brandon, you taking the time out to be with us on the Global Supply Chain Week and uh, Automotive Day. Thanks again for being here. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate it.